Oh, hello. It's me, Frank, and here's... Peter, hello. Welcome to this, the third episode of Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for those foolhardy few investigators of Arkham Horror, the card game. Uh, So we recorded this episode at much the same time as episodes one and two. Like them, we've decided to cut it in half. And like them, the audio quality isn't great, especially for me. Hopefully this intro sounds better. I've got a new microphone, which is all set up. So yeah, hopefully this this is more indicative of the sound quality going forwards. Any problems you can blame on my editing rather than on Peter's recording software. Anyway, today's episode is about allies. And since we've recorded it, there's even been a new player card who is an ally. And we'll probably talk about him at the end of episode four. We don't want to rush in and try and add a new bit now. And uh, speaking of new cards, we'll just take a minute to discuss our spoiler policy. Which I think I'm going to do, right? Yeah, go for it. So Peter and I think that the best way of doing this is that if a new pack comes out, so for instance the Miskatonic Museum has just come out, once it's out in the shops, the player cards in that pack are fair game for us to talk about, and we're expecting that people will have seen them fairly soon after the pack has come out, if not before the pack's come out. But for encounter cards, we're going to hold off on that a bit, and we'll say that the pack before the most recent release is the one that we're happy to talk about. So at the time of recording now, we're happy to talk about encounter cards in the core set and in the Dunwich Legacy box, but we won't talk about anything encounter card related in Miskatonic Museum. Have I got that right, Peter? That sounds about right to me. I I think we had mentioned we're happy to talk about officially spoiled player cards as well. So in uh, Fantasy Flight Games news articles. Yeah, exactly. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's a really good point. But any unofficial spoilers we'll avoid. We definitely haven't been on the Reddit seeing the spoilers for the... Oh, no. You'd have to have no willpower at all uh, to, to just run to Reddit and look at the spoilers as soon as they appear, wouldn't you? Yeah, you would. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that's all for this. Um, we hope you enjoyed this episode three. Hello and welcome to Drawn to the Flame, a sometimes fortnightly, sometimes monthly podcast for fans of Arkham Horror the card game. Each episode we take a look at a specific topic related to Arkham Horror, whether that's dealing with treacheries, building a deck for a particular investigator, or considering a specific keyword. Um, We delve deeply into one of these topics. I'm your host Frank, and today I'm joined by... Peter. Hi, Peter. How are you? I'm, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Much better than last week. How about you? <laughs> I'm doing very well as well. Thank you. In this episode, we are looking at allies. So allies are a card type, an asset type. And one of the first things that jumped out at me um, when I was starting to learn to play Arkham Horror was how restricted investigators were with what they could have on the table so an investigator has two hands they have two arcane slots and then they only have one accessory slot one body slot and only one ally slot which i thought was very interesting and really intrigued me about the game so if you're only allowed one ally at a time 
that means they've probably got to be quite good. So in this episode, Peter and I are going to look at the allies that are currently available, see what they're good for, what they provide, and talk about them a little bit. Peter, do you want to start with our first ally? Yeah, so first of all, we've got Guard Dog. This is a three-cost asset. He's got one combat hit, and he's an ally creature. So one of several creatures, I think. Yeah. Uh, he has, uh, yeah, he has a reaction ability. Uh, when an attack, an enemy attack deals damage to Guard Dog, deal one damage to the attacking enemy. Fiercely loyal, these trained canines make for perfect companions. Guard Dog has three, three physical, uh, three health, uh, and one sanity. I love the art for this. That whatever poor octopus had tried to attack the guard dog, it's just being absolutely ruined by the guard dog. Um, I love this card. I've played this card in a Skidzo tool deck that was quite a mobile Skids deck, particularly in the second scenario of Knight of the Zealot, where you're running around a lot. Guard dog can be really powerful. In theory, it can kill three enemies for you if you only take one damage at a time and they're one health enemies. You can be taking in the damage and feeding it back out again. I think generally automatic damage is, is quite a powerful effect in Arkham from, from, from what we've seen so far. So so I mean, one of the allies will come to very soon. Uh, and Agnes as well. They've both all got abilities that deal certain damage. Uh, and it's actually an ability which gets better when you play at higher difficulties as well because you're not taking tests to deal that damage so so guard dog does it, it's 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 lovely it's really nice it's it's damage soak which deals automatic damage so i think it's a really good card and i think it's nicely priced at three yeah i com- i completely agree basically and the only thing that is probably the single black mark against its name is the beat cop which i'm going to read now so the Beat Cop is a four-cost Guardian ally asset. It has a combat pip. It's ally and police traded. And it says you get plus one combat. And then there is a free trigger on Beat Cop, which says discard Beat Cop, deal one damage to an enemy at your location. And the Beat Cop has two health and two sanity. So, yeah, it, it's we should mention that Beat Cop can be upgraded as well. And there's a, there's a two-experience version of Beat Cop. Um, but just looking at the base beat cop, he, my, my feeling is he is is quite pricey for for that plus one fist really because I feel using the ability which discards him that's that's a, an all or nothing that, that that's your that's your big last attack isn't it discarding the beat cop to deal the damage yeah definitely um, it's. It's, it's, it's not something you really want to be doing after you spent four. It's a very expensive way to do one damage to something. Very expensive. And if we compare it to a, a talent like physical training, we can get the same the same four combat boost from paying four resources on physical training. And we've only paid two to get that into play, but that would work out as six resources. But anyway, what I'm saying is there are cheaper ways of getting out a couple of combat boosts but maybe if you want something long term, the beat cop is worthwhile. Yeah, if you don't have competition for that other ally slot, then dropping in dropping in a beat cop lets you. It's a money sink, which which boosts what you want to be doing a lot anyway. So so it's it's certainly not a bad card. In fact, I think it would go into it goes into most of my guardian decks as the as the only uh, ally. 
Yeah. However, I it is pretty much the first card I looked for Brady because the Brady feet cop is a lot better. Yeah. So what are the differences between the two? So it's the same cost. Uh, it gets it gains a, an agility pip. So he's three health and two sanity, and he gets his his ability gets upgraded. So rather than discarding the cop to deal damage, you can exhaust him and deal one damage to him. And that does so, a damage out to enemies. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so you, you, critically, you get to keep the beat cop, and it's almost two free, two free instant damage, because you can use him twice before without killing him. So then he starts to look very competitive compared to the guard dog, where the guard dog can take three damage and deal three damage out, and this beat cop can take three damage and deal two of them out. So not quite as good, but he's also giving you plus one combat and that's where i think as a card it starts to become really powerful that you're anyway passing more combat tests because you have the beat cop out you've got a small little sanity sink there you can put one one horror on him if you've got an extra horror that you've taken but also you've got this damage on tap that's really powerful it's testless damage as well as we mentioned it's really powerful um it's also if you have an instance where you're up against a three three health enemy you're going to maybe shoot them once or hit them with a machete once, and then you could take another action to hit them again, but that might be costing you an ammo or it, it would be taking up one of your precious three actions. And with the beat cop, you can feed out that last one damage and you've got two actions spare to do something else. A lot of the weapons deal in even numbers for damage, so being able to, to deal out an odd amount of damage can be very powerful. Okay, should we should we move on to Seekers? Yes, why not? The first Seeker ally is the Research Librarian. It's a two-cost asset. It has an agility pip, and it's ally and miskatonic traded. And it has a reaction trigger on him. After Research Librarian enters play, search your deck for a tome asset and add it to your deck. And he has one health and one sanity, so you're not going to be using this guy as a... Uh, health or sanity sink in any way and there's a little bit of flavor text there have been problems at the Orn library as we both know given poor armitage's condition and the other unrelated incidents of a few years ago nice little nod to the um, dunwich horror but also to the dunwich legacy i really love this card i think it's a really specific card for daisy who loves tomes yeah, I, I think it's 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 a specifically a Daisy card. I think she really likes this. Daisy wants to prioritise getting her, the tome into play, probably over Group Law, which is which is a fantastic card, a really really good card. The sooner Daisy gets that in, the sooner she can start either assisting other investigators building up their 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 board or building up her own board, getting the other allies and, and equipment she needs. Sadly for him, but I think once the research librarian is in play, he's more or less expendable. Yeah, definitely. He he soaks up another point of damage, probably a point of damage if you're playing Daisy. I almost Uh, feel like that that stat line, as we both mentioned, is almost just to make it clear to any player that you don't want him sticking around as a useful... Well, he can take three damage and three horror, so I might want to not replace him with something else. It's like, no, no, no. You're you're paying two for his ability, and if he soaks up a damage or a horror for you, that's great. But otherwise, the poor fellow is expendable. That's right. He turns up, he gives you your book, and then he dies the first sign of trouble. Yeah. 
The other thing I should, I think is worth mentioning in a Daisy deck is if you've spent two XP to buy the encyclopedia and you're running that in your deck, that's the card that gives out a plus two boost to one stat to an investigator on your turn, on, on their turn rather, you can you can pay for only one of them but run two research librarians and as long as you get one of those three cards in your opening hand, you can reliably get the encyclopedia out. And Old Book of Law is a wonderful card, but Encyclopedia is also great, and it allows allows you to conjure up whichever one you need at will. That's the other thing about this search effect that's so powerful. You you can choose which one you need and go and yeah, fetch yeah. it. Um, uh, the only thing I'd, I'd maybe like to see on him is, is it would be fantastic if he had another pip, because he's, he's very much a card which is only useful at a particular point in the game. He's very useful early on in the game if you don't get either of your opening hand, as, as Daisy. So if you draw him later on, he can feel like he's he's just using up space. Uh, if he had another pip, he'd be fantastic. As it is, I think he's, he's good and very good in Daisy. Yeah, when you've got two terms in play and you in, in upkeep phase you draw a card and it's the research librarian, you sigh it's not even a pip like if if daisy is evading enemies at that point things have gone very sour i think i think it's worth mentioning at this point i was going to mention it a bit later on so this is a card that's not yet been released but it's probably worth mentioning charisma because it's going to have such an effect on this discussion and we can definitely come back and talk about allies again in future if we want to but we should probably just bear in mind charisma as as a thing that will exist, I think fairly soon, in a couple of months probably. So are you happy for me to read this out? Yeah, yeah, go for it, go for it. So it's a 3 XP card, so you can't start with it, but you can buy it later in a campaign. But it's permanent, it has the permanent rule, which means that it doesn't go in your deck, it sits in play once you've purchased it. So you only need to spend 3 XP to have it. It's called Charisma, it's a talent, and it simply reads, you have one additional ally slot which is an incredibly powerful card, given that the way that we think about allies at the moment in the game is that you can only have one. And this idea that you can have two does completely skew the the thinking and the consideration about these. So in Seeker, you can play one research librarian and get the tome you want. And if you've actually run in two tomes and you want another tome and you happen to draw a second research librarian... You can play that too. You could play it anyway and re- replace the first one, but if you wanted to get more value out of them and you wanted them to soak damage for you, you could do. But that's probably not what you're going to use Charisma for in a Seeker deck. And maybe we should move on to the next card and see what other cards you might be using Charisma for. So, is it is me next? Is me next? Take it away. We have... We've got a two-cost asset, Laboratory Assistant. I think I've done this order. Never mind. Okay, press on. So she has uh, one uh, intellect pip. She has ally, miskatonic, and science as traits. Your maximum hand size is, is increased by two while checking your hand size during the upkeep phase. And she has a reaction. After laboratory assistant enters play, draw two cards. To an extent, I... Uh, sorry, she's got one health and two sanity. Yeah, to an extent, I, I feel similar to the research librarian she's expendable maybe her ability converts your resources into more cards so if you have additional resources you can spend one action to draw two cards 
and then also have something which is going to soak up a little bit of damage. Yeah, and pay two, draw two, size, pretty reasonable. Yeah, it, yeah, additional hand size is, is, is nice, but I, I rarely come up against that. I think if you're bumping up against your hand size consistently, there's maybe other problems going on. Having two extra hand size is nice, but I don't think it's, it's, really a, it's really a game changer. And worth noting on that two extra hand size, that means you have a hand size of 10, which is nearly a third of your deck. Because we, you're, that's a good point. I've never considered that actually. We're yeah. running. You're running thirty-three card decks normally at the start of a campaign. So if you can get ten cards in hand, that's a third, which is a huge amount of your deck to be running. So one of the people that I'm playing the Dunwich Legacy campaign with, he's playing a Rex deck, and he's running Laboratory Assistant, and he's playing a Rex, Rex deck. Rex is the only. Rex is the only is the only investigator I, I would really consider the extra hand size of Boone because he's got Search for the Truth which draws him extra cards. Yep, up to five, uh, depending on how many clues like, he has. Yeah, up to five. Yeah, cryptic, cryptic Research as well. It's, it's, I quite like that in Rex. I really like and that course, card too. So, so I, I, I think, yeah, I think if you're going to run it in a secret at the moment, it's probably going to be it's probably going to be Rex, unless we see a more science-themed investigator coming out in the future. And in that Rex deck, he's doing the burglary scavenging thing which is investigating a lot with burglary to make money but also with uh, with just normally to get clues and then if he's succeeding that's drawing cards back to him with scavenging that he's then using to commit to tests to pass other tests and keeping up this very big hand size so he's playing this very powerful sort of support role where whatever the test is he's got at least one pip to throw for another investigator but for himself he's got plenty and he kind of just keeps himself very card flush so that he's able to do things so it's an interesting it's an interesting style of play i've not tried it really myself yet and i think the lab assistant the other thing that's that's slightly strange about her is that because her ability is an is is active is is in play once you've played her you're less likely to want to play over her necessarily in the way that research librarians use is really um limited once he's been played so that can that can leave things being slightly tricky where you maybe want to play a different ally in daisy or in rex and you've got this lab assistant down and you're thinking oh but i don't want to lose the two hand size but yeah i think it's a marginal case moving on the next ally we have is a unique ally so it's our first unique ally that we've looked at and it's a seeker ally as well he's called dr milan christopher the professor of entomology he's a four cost asset with an intellect pip he's ally and miskatonic traded and his ability is you get plus one intellect he also has a reaction trigger after you successfully investigate gain one resource he has one health and two sanity and the flavor text reads while I truly pray that this nightmare is just a singular abomination, I must admit that I am exhilarated by the possibility that this is but one specimen of a new genus. So he's kind of a bug creep, right? Yeah, he's definitely a nerd, isn't he? Big nerd. So, like the beat cop, this is a a permanent stat boost for your investigator once he's in play. Like the beat cop, he costs four to play, like the beat cop, he has a pip that matches the stat he's boosting. But unlike the beat cop, 
he has this incredible ability that is taking an action to investigate. If you succeed, you also get a resource out of it. So you're getting two actions for the for the price of one, as it were. So I, I've actually found if if this if I get this into play early in a seeker when I'm playing as a seeker, it's it's very hard to find things to spend all your money on because he just gains you so much money over the course of the game. Yeah, as seeker, you're probably the primary investigator. They both have great intellect. With Doctor Milan down, their intellect's even better. So you're just investigating for days and rolling in cash. So what do you do? At that point, are you thinking about maybe trying out talents in Seeker so that you can leverage some of that money into something? My Rex deck moved into, I think I had a hyper-awareness in there. So you've got at least something to spend the money on. And that lets you focus more on evasion as as Rex. So I think he's got three evasion baits. Yeah. So with hyper awareness out, you know, Milan lets you build up a good stack of cash, and then you can be evading regularly at, at say five agility, which which is enough to uh, escape from most enemies. I wonder if there's a possibility for a Rex deck with something like backstab in and Doctor Milan, where you're using the resources that you're accumulating with Doctor Milan to pay for backstab, which is quite an expensive event at three, and also uses your agility rather than your combat to fight and that that would be a way of getting around rex's tiny combat stat of one maybe it's a possibility yeah i, I mean i just think yeah milan, milan's it's a good card he, he he would go in i think for the foreseeable future they'll go in seeker decks or seeker decks i mean he, he rewards you the classic hallmark of a good card is something that rewards you for what you want to be doing anyway and that's exactly what Milan does. Precisely. So money when you investigate. We've I, yet I to see a Seeker deck that isn't investigating a lot. Yeah. So that's the first three allies The Guardian. The second three allies are Seeker. Let's move on to the Rogue cards. There are four allies at the moment that are Rogue allies. But interestingly, only one of them can you start the game having in your deck because there's only one of them that doesn't have an XP cost. And that ally is Peter, if you'd like to read it. Oh, yeah, it's me. Okay, so next we have Leo De Luca. He's an eye-watering six-cost asset. He's the Louisiana Lion. He's an ally and a criminal. You may take an additional action during your turn. I was born in Mississippi. Louisiana just sounded better. He's got... I'm not going to attempt to... A Mississippi accent, I'm afraid. Fair. He's got two health and two sanity. And I'll tell you what, we'll cover we'll cover the experience version of Leo as well at the same time. Good so idea. For a single pip of experience, he's exactly the same, except he costs five rather than six. Oh, and he has an additional health, uh, an additional health and sanity. Is that right? No, no. He's the same. He's the same, apart from that. Yeah, one cost for one XP. Leo is fascinating in that he gives us a benchmark for what XP might do, just like the Beat Cop, the 2XP version of the Beat Cop. You get a new ability and a new health and a new pip. And for Leo, 1XP just gets you one resource off. But that resource does make a big difference because that means you can play Leo, the upgraded version, on your first action if you had him in your hand. Whereas with the 6-cost version, you have to 
take an action to get a resource, then put him down, then you've got your two actions left. And so it's not insignificant that it makes that difference, but it isn't a huge difference, is it? No, I, it, as you say, I think having him during that first turn is that it's then what you do with another three actions with no money. Yeah. Get, get, get some money would be probably be first order. So you, 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 I'm bowing to your expertise on rogue cards, really. I've got much less experience with rogue than you have. So, so when do you find you're, you're playing Leo? Is he an automatic play when you've got him and you've got enough money? Do you hold back on him later in the game when he might have less impact? Great question. I definitely want to play him early if I have him, but I have been really burnt playing Skidzo Tool and playing Leo first turn and then hitting a Crypt Chill. Crypt Chill is test willpower four. If you fail, discard one asset you control, and if you can't do that, take two damage. And if you're playing Skidzo Tool and you have your paltry willpower of two, you can have spent your first time investing in Leo only to see him in your discard pile very quickly. So I'm a bit more cautious now. I'd now look for a play where I can get Leo into play and another asset I don't mind losing to protect him. But otherwise, yes, I do like him early. And that additional action is really, really a very big deal because the game is built around investigators having three actions. So it's not just that you're getting a third of your actions again, it's that you're also pushing the boundaries of how the game is constructed. You know, enemies are, are designed so that, say, you evade a ghoul and then you punch it twice and that's the ghoul dead, but suddenly you've got an extra action spare to do something else. Or you're planning to move, investigate, investigate and clear out a location. And with Leo, you can move, investigate, investigate and move on again. So he starts to really leverage this quite mobile style of play where you don't necessarily have to be the most efficient, but that doesn't matter because you've got this extra time to play around. Also, personally, yeah, I, I I love his health and sanity as well. It's not to be sniffed at, that little 2-2, which means that at a certain point in the game, he can have one damage and one horror on him, and that won't be a damage and horror on you, which is quite a big deal, actually. Yeah. Okay, shall we move on to Cat Burglar? Let's. So... The second of our 1 XP rogue allies is Cat Burglar. Cat Burglar costs 4. It has a willpower and an agility pip. And it's ally and criminal traded, like Leo. You get plus 1 agility. Action, exhaust Cat Burglar. Disengage from each enemy engaged with you and move to a connecting location. This attack does not provoke attacks of opportunity. And the Cat Burglar, like Leo, has 2 health and 2 sanity so I, I feel the issue with any rogue ally is going to be that it's using a slot which could be occupied by leo definitely that's obviously where charisma comes in you can... that is where charisma comes in yeah but we're not going to have access to charisma straight away so that maybe makes unless you prioritize charisma as as rogue before you start buying anything else uh, uh, Cat Burglar's ability, I think Cat Burglar's a really good card. So the, the extra agility is good. Yeah. And uh, the ability is action to exhaust him and then just to, it's like a, it's almost like an evasion, elusive on tap, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. 
it's not an, an extra action is so generally useful that if I had a choice between the two, I'm almost always going for Leo. You know, with the extra action, maybe I didn't get into the situation from which the cat burglar is extricating me from. Sure, that's a nice way of thinking about it. I think the other thing that's, that's maybe worth bearing in mind is that Rogue as a class at the moment, they have cards that play off agility and cards that play off combat and maybe intellect as well. And Cat Burglar really falls into that former category of boosting your agility. So you're not looking to fight with enemies, you're looking to evade them. This is giving you a permanent buff to that, like Dr. Milan, like the Beat Cop. But it's also come with this wonderful extra ability that means it's almost like a panic button, where if you get mobbed, you can just dump all the enemies, you don't have to evade them all, and move on. I love this card in Wendy. When Wendy's playing, yeah, she think. really doesn't want to fight. Yeah, I, I, my gut feeling is that it, it is really good in Wendy. The ability just to, to ping around the place, I think, is, is fantastic. So I've written up a deck that is a deck with XP going into the final scenario of Knight of the Zealot that includes this card. As uh, It wasn't my idea, it was uh, found it from someone else on ArkhamDB. But what this card allows Wendy to do trying to complete the final scenario spoilers for if you haven't played that final scenario yet is that when you reveal the ritual site you place all of the unique cultists you failed to um, deal with in the second scenario waiting for you between you and the ritual site and that is very difficult for Wendy to deal with elusive won't get you to the ritual site because you haven't yet discovered it if you step onto the main path all of these enemies engage you you might only have a couple to deal with but that's still move on to the main path and then have to evade them both it can it can get really troublesome that that final scenario can get really mobbed with enemies what cat burglar allows you to do is action one move on to the main path action two exhaust cat burglar and ditch all of those enemies and move straight into the ritual site and then action three is normally evade whatever enemy has been spawned in the ritual site so it just sets up this this really quite amazing sort of play where you're just basically running past everyone. Um, it's one of the most satisfying experiences in the game, actually. Cool. Okay, should we move on to the new rogue ally? Please. Oh, cost asset, and it's Hired Muscle. Hired Muscle has a uh, combat pip. It is ally, criminal. You get plus one combat. Forced. At the end of each upkeep phase, you must either pay one resource or discard hired muscle. And that's three health and one sanity. So, I, although I haven't played with this card, I I really like it. I don't necessarily think it it might fit in Rogue. Uh, again, it's, it's competing for a slot with Leo. But in a combat-oriented Rogue, one cost for a plus-one fight, that, it, that's really good. It, it's probably the is it the, one of the cheapest allies? Yeah, yeah. And it's also this and this and the the cat and the arcane initiate are all competing for that cheap slot. So this is probably one of the cheapest stat boosting cards in the whole game. I would say. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, compared to say Holy Rosary, which is two. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the, the the upside is really good, and the cost is good, and it's got three health. Whether we can live with the downside, which is paying a resource every turn. I do like that we get a choice. It doesn't just suck our money up until we have none left and then, then disappear. 
we can choose to stop paying for it at any point. So if you know you're playing a scenario where there's going to be combat at a certain point, you can prepare for that and get hired muscle in play. And maybe hired muscle during that time can also soak up a bit bit of damage for you. Yeah. And then after that point, you go, I don't need hired muscle anymore. The mistake, I think, is putting hired muscle down early. And so on turn one, it costs you two, then it costs you a third, then it costs you a fourth. At that point, you've paid the same as beat cop and maybe not done as many combat checks uh, or fight checks at least um, for which you might have needed the fist icon I think we, one of the natural things to do is to look at this card with Jenny as well who gains an additional resource definitely that, that, that's interesting I don't know whether I mean you've played Jenny a lot more than me when mm. you could build a good combat build with Jenny and then this would be a great card to go in there and then Jenny's stat line looks a lot more healthy you know, she gets she's got four combat, even though she's only gaining one one resource every turn. She also has three extra health, which is really nice. Yeah, it's interesting you mention the health thing because this is a rogue card, and the people who can use it so that's Wendy, Skids O'Toole, and Jenny. They're all not hurting for health in the way that if you could use this in say Daisy, Daisy would be absolutely delighted you can't that's one thing that i think is maybe a slight negative to this card is that yes the 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 big three health sink is good but there aren't too many times when i'm panicking about about jenny's health i'd be more worried about her sanity (laughs) 